0: Father, we just thank you that the Spirit of God is among the people of God, and here as we gather a collected group of people from different stories and different backgrounds that you are here with us. I mean, you're always with us, but when we gather together the Spirit of God, something comes alive as we share faith and life together. We thank you for that. And as Paul comes to share your word with us today, we ask that your spirit will anoint him afresh, that you'll empower him, that he'll be free to speak exactly what you have um, for him to share with us. And God, we choose to open our hearts to you. We choose to just turn our faces towards you, God, and to set this time aside, ready to learn. We say, Lord, speak to us. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, Becky, uh, for your welcome. Thank you to everyone for your friendliness and welcome to me. 40. You're, you're getting old, man. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, 40. <laughs> oh, man, um, as someone who's in now in their mid-40s, Uh, I can say with great confidence, it only gets better, it only gets better, so um, even though people will start ribbing you more about getting old and all that sort of stuff, um, it actually just keeps getting better and better, at least that's my experience so far as I um, come up to my 45th uh, birthday in six months' time or so. Um, My church at Gisborne has... uh, um, I've asked them in my absence to pray for you this morning, so I have reasonable confidence that they've done that, um, and that they've committed this time together in prayer as well. When I asked Becky what would you like me to speak on, she said, well, um, I've got a title for you, and the title is Seeing the Crowd, Looking for the One. Seeing the Crowd and Looking for the One, and and then she pretty much said in the email, but you can do whatever you like. Um, So I'm sticking with the title, um, and I'm pretty much doing whatever I like. Now when I heard about this title, when she wrote me the email and I saw it and I I looked down and I I, I sort of said, what what does that mean? Seeing the crowd, seeing the one. And my mind straight away went to something that my eldest daughter, Maria does. Now Maria is a netball nut. She loves the game of netball. And so because of Maria, we are members of the Melbourne Vixens Netball Club. Um, We go and watch all their home games, seven home games throughout. and We're in the middle of the season right now, and not quite the middle, but we're working our way through it. sometimes we're in a little break at the moment because they had three games in a row and then they're gonna have a few games in a few weeks time but 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 we get on the weekend we make time to go down and watch um, the Melbourne Vixens in Melbourne play at High Sense Arena now what happens is we go and watch the game and we cheer and celebrate it they win we commiserate it they lose and then we go home and and when we get home Maria then puts the TV on and she watches the game again And She just loves netball. And one of the things that Maria loves to do is because our seats are about six rows from the front, just on the side there, and so occasionally when the camera is focusing in on the players and what they're doing and all that sort of stuff, occasionally it'll get a bit of the crowd and so Maria will pause it. And she'll look, you know, she'll get up, we've got a 55-inch TV, she gets up really close. Um, You know, it's probably exaggerating a bit to say that she pulls out the magnifying glass, but it's a bit like that, and she has a bit of a look. She goes, Dad, there we are, we're we're, we're famous, we're famous. (laughs) Now, if we asked any of you to spot us in the crowd, there's no way you could do it. Because the game just moves so fast, the camera's moving up and down the court, you just wouldn't have anything to do. Unless you, unless you knew where we were sitting um, and you could uh, have the technology of the TV to pause and at just the right moment, you wouldn't spot, a, spot us. Now, I think one of the great challenges for us as a follower of Jesus today is how do we share the hope that we have with others who are without hope? How do we share our stories of forgiveness and restoration, the way in which God has worked in us, with those who are still broken? How do we spot the one in the crowd who's most likely to be receptive to hearing about Jesus? I believe that God is a God who is already on mission. He's in the business of making himself known. We see this in creation, in fact, if you go to the very first wo- wo- first four words of the Bible, you see it, in the beginning, God. The very act of creation is an act of revelation. It's an act of God making himself known. And all through the Bible, this continues. Whether it's to Adam and Eve or Abraham, uh, Joshua, Moses, um, so on. You know, it goes through David. You can work through your whole way through the Bible. And God is continuing to make himself known to people. And through those people, he's making himself known to a nation. And through that nation, he's making himself known to the world. We see it in Jesus. As Jesus came and lived amongst us, incarnating into our world, becoming just like us, in order to make God known to us. We see it in the early church. We see it in the church today. God is a God who is in the business of making himself known. He did it at the time of creation. He's done it all through history and he continues to do it this very day. He's always at work. He's always wooing people to him. And so what I want to suggest today is that maybe our role as a follower of Jesus is not so much to strive or try and manufacture something when it comes to sharing our faith with others. Maybe our role is more about setting the sails to the wind that the direction of the Holy Spirit is blowing in. Maybe our role is trying to see as God sees. Maybe our role is much more about partnering with him in the work that he's already doing. Today what I want to do is spend some time in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. You may know the story. It's the story when Moses sent out the 12 spies into Canaan, the land in which God had promised the Israelites. They'd been on a very long journey. They'd come out of slavery in Egypt and God had rescued them and brought them out and they they wandered through the desert towards the promised land and now they're on the edge of the promised land, the place that God has promised them from way before and now they're here and Moses says to these 12 spies who are all leaders of the 12 different tribes of Israel, he says, go out and search the land. Have a look, come back and report what you see. Are the people there, are they they strong or are they weak? Uh, Is there a lot of them or is there just a few? Tell me what the land's like. Is it fertile or is it poor? What's the country like? Is it really treed or is it barren? Now each of these spies, they went out And they came back after 40 days looking at exactly the same thing. But two of them came back with a different report. Two of them came back and saw something different to the other 10. The 10 could only see what was just in front of them. They weren't able to see what was possible with God. And they said, look, the land that you sent us, it's flowing with milk and honey. It's a great land, it's amazing, it's incredible. And then they said, but, but. The cities, they're heavily fortified. The people there, I mean, they're giants in the land. There's no way we could take them. There's no way we could live into what God has for us. There's no way we could step out into the promised land that God has for us. Those 10, they could only see what was just in front of them. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they saw something else. And Caleb was the one that first spoke up and he said, we can take this land. With God on our side, we can do anything. We can take the land. But, but the rest of the spies, they, they spread what is described as a bad report in Numbers. This idea of a bad report was they weren't just stating how big the opposition was. They weren't just stating how heavily the cities were fortified, all that sort of stuff. They were actually overstating the reality. They were spreading out this bad report, making people worried and fearful because they themselves were worried and fearful about what was in front of them. Joshua and Caleb, however, they had faith. And so when they were looking at the challenges, they were looking at these heavily fortified cities, these giants in the land, and they were looking at that. And they looked at it, and as they were summing up that challenge into the equation, they were saying, well, we've got God at our side. And so with God at our side, we can do anything. If this is what God says, let's go, let's do it. But in Numbers chapter 14, we read that the Israelites, they heard the report of these 10 spies and they start to weep out loud. And the grumbling starts up, you know, all through the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. You know, the Israelites just kept grumbling and grumbling and grumbling and they grumble again and they say, if only we died in Egypt back when we were slaves. Why don't we choose another leader? Let's choose another leader and get him to take us back to Egypt. Let's take, them back, take us back to slavery. Then in Numbers chapter 14 verse 5 to 9 Moses and Aaron and then Caleb and Joshua they hear all of this and they fall face down. They tear their clothes. They try and convince the rest of the Israel that they could take the land that God was on their side but the Israelites would not be convinced. And In verse 10 of chapter 14 and following we read that they threatened to stone Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. They're ready to go back to the land that they come out of the land of slavery but God's anger it rises up and God has this conversation with Moses and God's threatening to wipe all of Israel out and start again with Moses and Moses intercedes on behalf of the Israelites and he says no God you can't do that and God turns his wrath away but the Israelites have sinned. They haven't trusted God. They haven't done what God wanted them to do. And so instead of stepping out as God commanded them, they shrunk back. They were fearful and they're worried. And so there has to be consequences. And the consequences were that not one of those who were alive at that time would ever see the promised land, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And so they started their desert wanderings. 40 years of wandering around the desert while every single one of that generation gradually died out and were replaced by the next generation. All with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, the only two that that were able to enter the promised land eventually. Now this story, it's a tragic story. It's a story of missed opportunity because of lack of faith. And what I want to do today is explore what was it about Joshua and Caleb that enabled them to see what others couldn't? What was it about their faith that enabled them to step out and trust in God when others didn't? And so I'm going to explore three different aspects. I'm a, I, I grew up in a Baptist church. Did anyone else here grow up in a Baptist church? We've got a few people from Baptist church. You've seen the light too and come across to the church of Christ, finally got your salvation. That's fantastic. Um, but one of the things about uh, growing up in a Baptist church, every sermon had to have Three points. And, and, and I like to rebel against that occasionally, but when I was looking at this passage, I was going, oh, I'm just going to be Baptist today. Three points. So here we go. Three points that explore what was unique about Joshua and Caleb. Three points that help us to better partner with God. Three points that help us to see the one in the crowd. So the first one is Joshua and Caleb, they saw the spiritual, not just the physical. They saw the spiritual, not just the physical. Now, I've already shared about netball, and because of my daughter, netball has become a really big part of our family's life. It's huge in our family. And I've ended up becoming somehow the coach of the under-13s netball team uh, in Gisborne. We call ourselves the Gisborne Rebels. And, and so I'm a coach, and you know, we're, we're going okay as a team. But two weeks ago, we played against these girls. Like, they were giants. They were so tall. They were enormous. And and my, all my team, they're Oh, they're tiny. They, you know, they, except for my, my daughter Marie, who's quite tall. The rest of them are really small. They, they're at that awkward under-13 stage where some of them have really hit their growth spurt and others just haven't. So you've got some that could be in grade three and some that could be in year ten. Like it's that sort of difference. Anyway, so we're playing against this team. Gisborne playing Woodend, um, and that's a really tough battle. You've got to win those games because you don't never want to lose to Woodend. They're the town just above us, by the way. And so anyway, so we're playing against Woodend, and they're all tall. And we're in the warm-ups, and my girl are looking at this team and you could see they were daunted you could see there was a bit of fear how are we possibly going to beat this team look at them and so i said to them i got them together before the game and because i could see that they were intimidated and i said girls girls come in you've got to understand something here speed beats height speed beats height, and, and I was thinking to myself, that's a good line, and I, so I said it about five times, speed beats height, and anyway, so I'm, going, I'm drumming it into them, I'm trying to get them to shift their mindset, because we actually, we might be small, but we actually are a really fast team, and one of the fastest teams in the competition, and so we've got to use our advantage, and so I'm getting them, I'm shifting their mindset, and once that started to happen, they no longer looked at the physical size of the opposition. We won by two goals. <laughs> They played much better. They played much better than they ever thought that they were able to play. See, Joshua and Caleb chose to see beyond the physical. Sure, the men in the land, they were big and they were fierce. And in the physical sense, you could never take them because they're giants. We're not going to win that battle. But they chose a mindset that saw beyond. They chose a mindset that saw not just the physical but saw into the spiritual as well. They s- chose a mindset that could see what could, be ha- what could be possible with God at your side. When I think about sharing our faith with others, I think about it as a giant challenge. I don't know about you, but I don't find it particularly easy You know, you've got one person out of 10, maybe, maybe one out of 20. They're just naturals at this sort of stuff. And they just find it easy to have conversations about their faith all the time, all the time. But most of us aren't in that space. And sharing our faith with others is a giant challenge. But I think our job is to see with spiritual eyes, not physical eyes. To see how God is already at work around us to see who is the one that he is wooing to him and to look where we can to partner with him in what he's already doing. Now, this is an ability that we have to develop. We have to work on it. And the way we work on it is the second uniqueness about Joshua and Caleb that I want to explore today. And that is that they had a deep and personal faith. So this passage in Numbers chapter 14, verse 5 to 9, Joshua and Caleb, they, they tear their clothes off. They're, they're in sorrow over the response of the Israelites and they get down on their face and they plead to God. Now, this is not their fault here. This is nothing that they've done, but they're demonstrating a spiritual sensitivity that we don't see anywhere else in this story. It's a spiritual sensitivity that cuts through the noise that reaches to the heart of the matter. They knew straight away that Israel was making a massive mistake. But rather than get angry at the Israelites, get angry at the other leaders who were misleading the Israelites into the path that they were going, they came to God, they expressed their sorrow over the spiritual state of their nation. They demonstrated a deep and a growing faith. Now, as Becky uh, mentioned earlier, we um, shared some time together on this uh, trip to America, a church study tour that we did in October of last year. So I've got a bit of a story to tell about Becky. Does anyone want to hear a bit of a story about Becky? That's, a, um, that's okay. Yeah, 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 it's all. It's it's uh, it's um, just to put you at rest, Becky. It's all positive. It's all all good. Um, you don't want to hear a positive story. Well, I'm sorry. You need to hear a positive story about your minister. So here it is. When we did this study um, tour of churches in Los Angeles and and Phoenix, um, uh, we both did it with uh, 12 other ministers, Church of Christ ministers from all over Australia. Um, And at each of the churches we visited, one of us was required to bring a gift and and to say a few little words to say thank you to that minister that had given up their time um, to allow us to, I guess, bleed out whatever information and learnings we could out of um, each particular individual and church we visited. Now the first person that was rostered on to give this gift was a guy called Mike, Mike's from WA and, and so Mike got up and, and shared this gift and we're at a church, Cottonwood Church, very large church in America and, and we were all a little bit intimidated because you know, that was massive, you know, 10,000 people, ruddy, raddy rah, big thing and anyway, so Mike gets up and he's articulate, uh, he's funny, he prays this great prayer and I'm thinking that's fantastic Mike, well done, I'm up tomorrow and so anyway. Um, I said this story, was about Becky, we're gonna get there. Um, so I, I um, got, came the next day and I, I actually spent all day thinking through what I was gonna say, you know, because I thought I've gotta beat Mike, you know, because if you haven't really yet worked out, I'm a pretty competitive person, so, so I've gotta beat Mike. So anyway, I thought about it and so I had some funny lines, made some funny comments, so I, I brought out my gift. It just so happened that Mike and I had given very similar gifts, but mine was bigger. So I made a point that when mine was bigger. Um, And it was fair to say that as the various um, little thank yous unfolded over the next week or so that that I was the clubhouse leader. Um, I was in front doing really well until Becky was rostered on about mid-trip. Now Becky had to give thanks to a minister, a very large and growing church, a dynamic church, about 10,000 people who experienced really fast growth in recent times, an incredible facility um, and are also in the middle of r- running a major conference. Now this particular minister, it's fair to say that he was a somewhat unusual and very fierce character it was just interesting as we sort of got to know him and, 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 and one of the dynamics that we observed was the way he related to his staff which was fair to say almost non-existent except if they made a mistake and did something wrong and so one example, and this minister actually shared this with us that day, and, and so they had these, um, you know, in LA it's, a, it's an outdoor place because it's the good, good climate there and all that sort of stuff, so in this part of this facility they had all these outdoor sitting areas and they had these gas fires that shot up flame, very nice and you know, you sit around very casual, that sort of stuff. And Anyway, so someone forgot to turn a gas flame on, so there were all these other gas things, they were working fine, but this one thing just wasn't working very well. And, And this particular minister went up to the person that was responsible for that and said, you had one job and just ripped him. He drove his people really hard. He drove his staff really hard. And so when Becky got up to say thank you, she spoke actually with incredible sensitivity and insight. She spoke for his heart of mission, which was there. She spoke of how much we'd learnt from this guy and this church, which had been an, an, an enormous amount, even given some of those things that I've just shared. And as Becky was sharing, this somewhat stressed and busy minister teared up. She made him cry. <laughs> and, got, and that's what she said later, it's a spiritual gift. But... but it, There was this moment in time when this man was ministered to in a very deep way through the words that Becky shared. A moment where God cut through the noise and reached into his heart. It was a moment in time where I believe God really ministered to this minister's own woundedness. When I look at someone who has spiritual sensitivity And I ask why. Why is that? When you start to look at it and you start to work out what's behind that, you see that the sensitivity is behind a deep and a growing faith. It's that time that we invest with God that helps us to be able to see as He sees to see into the brokenness of others, to know what to say at those times when we get opportunities, to know how to best love and to know how we can best partner with him in his mission, to know how to best spot the one when we see the crowd. The third uniqueness of Joshua and Caleb is that they had a default posture of adventure and risk. They had a default posture of adventure and risk. And so we've got this story in the book of Joshua. It's some 40 years later, after what we've been in today, and Moses and all of the generation that had been there, they had died out, and Joshua was finally leading this new generation of Israelites into the Promised Land, and he's got Canaan by his side. And they had to go into Canaan and they had to settle the land. They had to make a home. They had to have battles with those that were occupying the land at that particular time in order that they could come in and take in and live into what God had promised them. And so as they're about to enter the land, Joshua turns to his mate Caleb who's coming in with him. Caleb's 85 years old at this point in time. And he says to his old friend, what land do you want? Now I imagine at 85 years old, um, like I'm 45 and I'm feeling a bit already, I was splitting wood yesterday or the day before Paul and my shoulder is so sore, unbelievable. I imagine at 85 years old you'd go, you'd look around and go, what's the easiest land to take here? Where are the, the people that are just a bit smaller than the rest of the giants? Where, where are the, the cities that are a bit less fortified and all of that sort of stuff? But When Caleb turns to Joshua, this is what he says in Joshua chapter 14, he says, So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day, 40 years ago. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and that their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Just as he said. I wonder what it would look like if we took that same spirit That even at the age of 85, we're saying, give us the hill country. Give us the hard stuff. Come on, bring it on, God. With you at my side, I can take anything. I wonder when the last time was that you went on a big, risky faith adventure. When was the last time you followed his voice out into that deeper water? You know, that space where you're going to sink if you take your eyes off him, even just for a moment. Often we think of this idea of big, risky faith adventures and we think of things like travelling overseas, maybe become missionaries and that's wonderful and if people want to do that and they're called to do that, that's fantastic and we bless them and support them as they go. But our mind goes to those sort of things, doesn't it? I think there's faith adventures all around us. They're right in front of us. There's so many people that need to hear about Jesus. There's so many people around us that don't have the hope that we do. So many people around us that are living lives of brokenness that God could just restore and bring forgiveness and healing and full life. When I was in year eight, I had a a youth leader, a really great youth leader. And he came alongside me and a a group of other people. We all went to this one school. I I actually grew up not far from here. I grew up in Donvale. Uh, My school was Milorna Secondary College. Does anyone know here about Milorna Secondary College? Yeah, there's a few people. So um, do you know what the alternative name for Milorna Secondary College? Yes, you should do marijuana, anyway, (laughs) we won't go there. interesting school interesting school so um we're in this school pretty tough school at least when i was there and um uh, just a few years ago paul not that long ago but but when i was there really tough school And we had this youth leader that came alongside us and said um a group of people that were going to this church mitch and baptist church and they said um why don't we come together and every monday night after school we come together and we'll pray for one friend just for one friend and let's just see what God does in that. And, and then the other thing that this youth leader did, is he said, I'm going to go into school every lunchtime on a Thursday. I'm going to run this program. It was the student-focused youth dimension program. Some of you may know it. Um, and, and we're going to run this program, and I want you to be inviting your friends to the program. And then if, we, if it goes all well, well, we'll try and get them along to our youth group. We'll try and share Jesus, share our faith with them. Now, I remember when I was asked to do this, and my immediate response was just, you know, you're right, boy, this is a massive risk. I could get really ostracized by my friends here and at year eight, the most important people in the world are your friends, you know? And so I'm going, how's this gonna work? But as we started coming together and started praying together, I also began to realize, hey, we're on a big adventure here. There's a group of us coming together, sharing the journey, praying for each other, praying for one of our friends who we all had had named to become a Christian. Now, I began praying for a friend. His name was Longy. now, now, Longy clearly needed God in his life. Um, Longy wore these trousers, and they didn't quite reach his shoes. Um, and so he could always see his ankles. And so I thought, Longy, I don't know what's going on with Longy's trousers, but he needs God because his fashion sense is really terrible. Um, <laughs> Longy was also a little bit on the edge of our group like we were in a good group growing up at school we didn't pick on kids that much we did a little bit of that stuff but it wasn't too bad but but he was on the edge he was accepted and welcomed but he wasn't at the center and there was me and a few other guys that was probably a bit more at the center of that group and and so I looked at that and go oh, you know Longy he doesn't have many friends he really needs God in his life you know really needs God but he just wasn't interested and I just tried. I remember praying. We, you know, six, twelve months later, we'd been praying for this guy. And and all the other people as part of this group that were praying for their friends had started to see progression. You know, some of their friends had come to youth group, a couple of their friends had even become Christians, you know, it was really amazing. But Longy just wasn't interested at all. And I was getting really frustrated, and I kept saying to Longy, Longy, you know, you've got to come to youth group with me. You've got to find out about this guy called Jesus, you know. And I was taking a big well, I thought it was a big risk with Longy. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And, um, and, and we could have really gone off script there, but um, I do do a bit of that anyway, but uh, for a good thing we didn't. Anyway, so Longy, um, yeah, he just, this guy, I look at him and go, he needs God in his life, and whatever I did, it wasn't going to work. It wasn't working. And, and I rang up Longy one Saturday, I said, Longy, will you come to youth group with me tonight? And he said, no, nah, not interested. And I said, I got off the phone. And so then I rang up, I thought I was frustrated, you know, and I felt like a bit of a failure, so, you know, competitive, you're thing. I, I thought I'm going to ring another mate. So I got on the phone, dialled up, um, you know, remember you used to do that? <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I dialled up and um, it was Peachy, got Peachy on the phone. Peachy, do you want to come to youth group tonight? Yeah, yeah, I'll come. I, I was really shocked, you know what, sure, yeah, yeah, I'll come. Anyway, so Peachy came to youth group with me that night. He kept coming back to youth group. And over a period of 12 months, Peachy found his own relationship with Jesus. Now fast forward 30 years. Steve Peach is currently the Senior Minister of Southport Church of Christ on the Gold Coast. He also came with us on this L21 trip. Steve and I were groomsmen in each other's weddings. Deep, deep friendship there. I just think it's the most amazing story of God's grace. How he could use some cheeky ratbag, yeah, a boy who had no idea what he was doing. And believe me, was a long, long way off perfect mucking up doing all sorts of crazy things but there was something about the faith of the year eight boy that God was able to use to spot the one. Steve and I have shared a ministry journey of over 20 years and he's had an amazing impact in his ministry journey it's incredible God is amazing. And I look at that story and I look back to who I was as that year eight boy. And I think if God can use that year eight boy, he can use the adult me. And if God can use that year eight boy, he can use everyone that's here today. At my church in Gisborne... We've been journeying this stuff for some time around what does it mean to partner with God? How do we partner with God? How do we, how do we um, see the crowd and spot the one? And so one of the things we've done is um, uh, developed what we call missional spiritual practices. Now Now some of these are original ideas, at least I think they are. They're original in the sense that we first came up with them without knowing anyone else that did, though I suspect others may have come up with them before us. But anyway, um, some of them are original. Some of them are just straight-out copies from other things that we've read and, and all that sort of stuff. So, but there's 10 missional spiritual practices which as a church, we've encouraged each other to be doing. And the way we started is that we said, um, just, just pick one. Pick one and start with one. And just see what God does in that. So I've got some handout sheets here, which are these 10 missional spiritual practices. Can you do me a favour and hand them out? Make sure everyone gets one. Thank you. And they are, these are practices that connect us with God. These are practices that are very much about that vertical relationship, us and God. But there are practices that aren't just about that. There are practices around opening up our eyes to see what's around us. To be able to look in a crowd and spot the one, spot the one who God is at work with, who God is wooing with. So I have a challenge for you today. And my challenge is simply this. Have a look at these 10 practices. And for the next little period of time I'll let you say what this is you work this out depends a bit on what practice you choose to do because some of them actually stipulate a period of time but whether it's a week or whether it's a year whether it's somewhere in between or longer whatever you want to do but set a target set a goal for yourself that I'm going to adopt one of these practices starting tomorrow and let's just see what God does Let's just see how God uses it. Let's step out in faith together. I want to ask everyone to stand with me so I finish up now. I just want to say a word of prayer and... I'm going to pray for two churches today. I'm going to pray for Gisborne Church of Christ. I'm going to pray for Baronia Church of Christ. And my prayer for both churches is the same, and it's praying into that which we've just explored, that God would help us to see. And all I ask you to do, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything else but this, but if that is a prayer of your heart today, then just put your hands out. It's an expression of saying, God, I'm partnering with you. I want to partner with you today. Help me see what you see. Let's pray. Lord, together today we come as one church in different locations at either end of our great city. And we come with the same heart and the same prayer. Lord, we want to see those around us who currently don't have any hope in their life we want to see them find hope in you lord for those whose lives are broken whether it be in addiction or dysfunctional relationships or or whatever that is happening around them those that we know and love who don't yet know you lord we want to see them restored lord we want to see people find that full life, that forgiveness, that full relationship that is only possible in you. And so today as Baronia Church of Christ and Gisborne Church of Christ, we come together, we stretch out our arms and we say, help us to see. Help us to see how you're at work. Help us to see how we can best partner with you. Help us to see those who you are wooing to you. Lord, help us to see, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Becky.